But if we wanted to position ourselves to make sure that we could switch and change and grow with our membership, we needed to make sure that our core was positioned to, to do that. This is Behind the Vault, where we study the best in community banking. On this show, we talk with community bank and credit union leaders about their approaches, challenges, and successes in serving their communities in today's world. I'm your host, Rich Edwards. Our aim is to highlight and strengthen one of the most essential parts of our economy, the community financial institution. Stick around at the end of the show to learn how you can be a guest on Behind the Vault. And now, on with the episode. Customer experience is going through a transformation, particularly in the credit union space. And as more and more institutions switch to a digital or mobile-first experience, that personal level of service, the, the things that really make community financial institutions special, becomes different and sometimes a lot more difficult to execute on that. We have us with us today to talk about that, Amy McGraw. Amy is the Vice President of Marketing and the Chief Experience Officer for Tropical Financial Credit Union, one of the largest credit unions in Southeast Florida, hovering right now around a billion dollars in assets. Amy, thank you for being with us. Thanks for uh, for inviting me. This is going to be fun. So, so Amy, you, you've been with Tropical for about a dozen years now and, and have seen quite a transformation in, in your strategy and your approach and what you're doing. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience and kind of how things have changed for you guys? I think from a marketing perspective, um, one of the biggest changes has been um, a transition from traditional marketing over to digital marketing. And one of the things that we used to do when I first started here, we had a, a, like a marketing calendar and there'd be campaign, campaign, campaign. And it would be like, okay, we're going to do auto loans in spring and the fall. But people need auto loans 12 months out of the year. And because Tropical is a credit union, Tropical Financial Credit Union, credit unions don't have the deep pockets to do a lot of traditional like broadcasts, especially in an expensive media market like um, Southeast Florida, like Florida. So um, we had to, once digital opened up, there was a way for us to be able to promote the products all year long, as well as targeting. Now, when we started doing that, we realized we could have conversations with people about different financial products and services um, in, in a digital space. We didn't necessarily have to be one-on-one, -on -one, person to person. There were ways to do this, but to make it feel personal. And that's kind of been my mission since I've been here, is how do we keep people helping people, which is what credit unions are known for, alive and well and thriving in a digital space, which is what the migration was happening over time. More and more financial institutions are going to digital and more and more people wanted to do business on digital platforms, especially younger generations that grew up in, in, in the virtual world, so to speak. So, so was that was that a wholesale change for, for the credit union as far yeah, as like your strategy really, really and was. how your spend was? Yeah, it was a mindset, complete mind shift. Um, when I started here, we had a footprint of 22 branches and a lot of those were in stores like Walmart. We had quite a few branches inside of Walmarts. Um, and it just, it was very expensive. Um, and we started realizing that we could do just as much at much more efficient costs cost by doing things in a digital space. But then we also had to put the investments into digital so that experience would meet the expectations of consumers as time went on. And that's also been an interesting challenge. So we've kind of had to think outside the box 
and find a lot of partners to work with. That's another thing. The rise of fintechs has allowed us to do some things that the big banks were doing, but do it at a much more efficient cost because they could work with different partners like credit unions across the country and allow us to give those same experiences to consumers at a much lower cost per person, so to speak. So so what maybe what was an example of that? What what was a partnership that really worked for you who kind of added a lot of new tools to your toolbox? <clears throat> Sure. We work with a company called, well, I call them ChannelNet. I think they call themselves OneClick now. <laughs> um, they, um, they have allowed us to create individualized pearls, personalized URLs for every single member. So what we do is we feed them information about our members in terms of the different products and services that they have. We have AI modeling that goes in there that takes some of the things that they tell us through our um, HubSpot marketing automation platform, and we feed it back into them so that we're delivering on those pearls content that's curated by members. So I know a lot of times people think personalization is saying, dear Amy, and that's personalization. No, that's not. That's just a data point that you pull in and say, here, I'm delivering this to Amy, so let's call her by her name. But what is the content of that message? And does that pertain to Amy? And that's the difference that Channelet has been able to make for us, that we're able to deliver curated content to each individual member based on the different products and services that they have with us, as well as how they interact with that individual pearl. I'll give you an example. So sure. we have yeah, AI yeah. modeling that goes in and says, hmm, Amy looks like she's paid off an automobile and it looks like she's been doing some searching around our auto loan pages. So let's start giving her content, all content that's educational based about, is it better to go through, um, get a lease, or is it better to, to buy? Um, what is the difference between the different types of loans? What is it, um, is it, how do I avoid the F&I office so I didn't, don't get taken at the dealer? What are some other options that I might have? So we start feeding this content to Amy so that she knows some different, she can educate herself. And as she interacts with that content, it sort of fuels more content. Now, Amy decides, yep, you know what? I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to buy a car. And I'm going to use the auto advisor service, which is a concierge service. So I never even have to go into the dealership. And they're going to deliver that car to me mm -hmm. for test driving and to close the deal right then and there. And I'm going to be super happy. Once I've done that, then the AI model goes, oh, she did what we asked her to do. So let's remove all that auto content because she, she's bought it now. So, oh, gosh, look at her savings account is kind of big. Maybe we should talk to her about investment insurance services. So she doesn't have a whole bunch of money sitting out there and, and, and earning very little interest. Mm -hmm. You kind of get the idea, though. It depends on the individual person and what they're doing. And that then dictates the content that they're going to get. And if they get the product that you've been sort of promoting or the, the educating around, then that drops off and the next one comes up so that they're constantly getting education. And if it's if they're not interested in it and they don't engage with it, then that will slowly drop off and be replaced by something else. That's what ChannelNet has done. And it has mm -hmm. been a huge game changer for us. So where, where is that content showing up? Like, how do you how do you Several syndicate to that places. to them or like how does that affect their experience? Um, it shows up if you go to tropicalfcu.com and you click in sign in. What you as a non-member are going to see some very generic content about, I think it's about our, our digital banking offerings. It's going to be very generic because you're not a member. But mm -hmm. if you're a member of ours and you've engaged with an email that talks about your personalized URL, 
even before you sign in, it's going to say, hey, Amy, hey, Rich, here's some information. And it's going to be all the same stuff that we just talked about. Then you sign into online banking, either on your computer or on your phone. And you're going to see a little section, a little module inside of online banking that has that same content that you can engage with. On in the mobile app, there's actually a launching point that you could even says my personal web page. You click that and it takes you right over to your Pearl. So there's three different ways you can engage with that content. A, before you ever even log in, just on the sign-in page, we have an iframe that has delivers that individual content, or we have it inside of online banking, or we have it uh, as a launching point within the mobile app. So, so how about in like your your outbound campaigns, the way you you reach out or engage with uh, with your customers, do, do, is that impacted there at all? Like, are you using that information as part of that? We do absolutely. There's a whole bunch of there's a cadence of emails that channel that actually originates again based on the different content and things that people are engaging with in their pearls. Now, if somebody doesn't engage with a pearl, they're going to get the generic content. They have to engage at least one time to get over and basically be cookied so that we can start tracking them and following them and delivering the content based on what they're what they're looking for. We have about half our members engaging with their pearls right now. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is we just did a core conversion. Scary, I know. Um, but we just did that back uh, about about a little, little less than a year ago. Um, and when we did that, um, we were, um, I was making a point and I forgot what the point was. Do you ever have that happen to you? No. <laughs> um, anyway, we went through a core conversion. Yeah. And um, our members will be very vocal that was, I guess, the point about what they like and what they don't like about anything with Tropical. Mm -hmm. And when we went to the core conversion, we still have little data points that are still sometimes getting messed up. And we had several members all of a sudden contact us saying, hey, this is saying, dear, somebody I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. um, and the content is changing. And it turned out that something slipped in the data that was being delivered over to ChannelNet. Within 24 hours, well, it was not, it was within a few hours of a member contacting us. We were able to track that, figure it out. We turned off the, the naming, the actual personalization part, fixed it, and then relaunched it, and then mm -hmm. called back the members who had contacted us to make sure that they were seeing the correct name. So um, even, you know, <laughs> our members, once they engage with that, they engage with it, and they let us know if anything seems off. So so I, <laughs> I, I get, I mean, like, God bless you for doing a, a core migration like that. That's never, <laughs> that's a high wire act, right? And no matter what, what size institution you are, what, what, what kind of drove that decision? Was it, was it Again, customer it was aspect? Technology. Was it cost driven or? It was technology. We were on a core that was very antiquated and it was not what we call a plug and play type of mm -hmm. a core. Um, so anything we want to do, remember those FinTech partnerships I talked to you about? those fintech partnerships would have to plug in through a data warehouse. We couldn't plug anything directly into the core. I mean, obviously when I say there's a lot that goes into plugging anything into the core, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it wasn't, we were not positioned for a future of um, integrating new technologies. So that became a real clear, especially in 2020, that was real clear that if we wanted to position ourselves to make sure that we could switch and change and grow with our membership, we needed to make sure that our core was positioned to, to do that. And mm -hmm. we just couldn't do that with that older antiquated core. So we moved up to a better, much more cutting edge type of a core. The biggest change for our members with that core conversion was the old core was what was considered to be account-based. Mm -hmm. So people, if you had multiple accounts, 
you have to have multiple logins for online banking. <laughs> not exactly efficient, not exactly a good experience. We moved over to a member-centric type of a, a system so that if you had multiple accounts, one login, you saw everything mm -hmm. right there. The problem so, with that so is if you had a I mean, really feature, feature function. You saw all those memberships, mm -hmm. too, in one place, and that kind yeah. of threw everything. So, so feature function and then this idea of the extensibility of your customer experience was really kind of the driving element to that. Yeah, experience drives a lot of what we do. We, we want to make sure. And here's something that's really important. I think a lot of financial institutions forget about. There's a very important um, data point in the equation of the member customer experience. And that is the employee experience. And I think a lot of financial institutions are so focused on that customer experience, they forget that if you put a bigger burden on the employee to try to make that customer experience better, you actually are diminishing the effectiveness of that customer experience. Because regardless, even if the employee is not directly communicating with that customer, they still will have an impact on it. If they are burdened with extra things that they have to do and a more, a less efficient job description, then that will spill over into the member or customer experience. So it really was critical that when we were evaluating these, this, these core systems, that we look for efficiencies for the employees as well as that customer experience. So yes, customer experience drives everything, but we never leave out that employee experience, a very, very important part of the equation. So so that, that seems like an, an important factor, thinking through as you said, you're going through this transition from a, a more retail brick and mortar experience into a digital first, maybe digital only for a, a number of your your members. That the the ability of your own employees, particularly your first line and support employees, to offer that service, their experience with it, their ability to kind of, in as frictionless way as possible, provide that. Th that becomes like this this important success factor. Uh, it has to be. You have to include it. If they have to jump through more hoops to try to solve an issue for a member, it's bad for both of them. And that frustration of the employee will come through in their communication, whether it's verbal communication or even through email. It absolutely will come through. And then that affects your member experience. And we see it. We see it all the time in terms <clears throat> of we pay very close attention to um, not only reviews in terms of Google reviews, Yelp reviews, and um, Facebook reviews, but we also do net promoter surveys. But here's the thing, and I think a lot of, again, financial institutions who do net promoter, they look at that net promoter score, but they're not paying attention to anything else. We have five experience questions. We even have added in a how do you feel about your financial health question into our net promoter uh, surveys that we send out, but we also have a comment section. And everybody who leaves a comment, good or bad, gets a phone call back from a senior leader. And I think that's an important part of the experience. There was even somebody who wrote in one of their comments about they were frustrated about an employee experience because mm -hmm. the employee couldn't answer their question. And they even wrote in their comment, not that it would matter, nobody reads these anyway. We, the week, as soon as they hit submit, we get an yeah. email. Within a minute, <laughs> they had a phone call and they were floored. A, that somebody actually called them back. B, that we listened to them. And a lot of times that's all they want is to be able to have somebody listen to them. And C, 
it was a provided us with a coaching opportunity for that employee who, who was a newer employee who just needed to understand um, the different departments and how they could have helped that member. Because we try to get that single point of contact or contact resolution so that we're not bouncing members all over the place because that's, again, a very bad experience. So is, is that primarily how you, you manage that or measure the success of that process was your, your kind of external member experience, your surveying process? Yes. Yeah, we do a lot of surveying. We do a full member. It's interesting because when you do Net Promoter, we do Net Promoter um, on a regular basis because we're doing them all year long. We're doing it based on actual interactions and engagement with the credit union, transactions, loans, even withdrawn loans. Um, we want to know. We want to hear from our members and the consumers who have engaged with us what their experience has been. Um, but then every two years, we do a full member survey. We engage a research company to come in and do that. Um, and it's very interesting because we still ask that same net promoter question. But when you ask it to people who've not really engaged with any employees for a while, um, that score is very different than the one that when they actually do engage with you. It's a much higher one uh, with the, the engagement ones than it is with the ones that we're sending out to, to regular uh, members who we don't have that opportunity with. And it's been interesting because as a senior leadership team, we're always talking about ways to try to, to engage with people that we haven't heard from a, from a while in, in a while or who haven't done a transaction in a while. Um, those, those also can be really good interactions and engagement because they can kind of give us an idea of what is it that we're not providing that might cause them to want to end the relationship or slowly move it to another institution? So so how, how much do you leverage third party for that? Like somebody who's not with the bank, who's not a like named a bank employee to kind of solicit that feedback? Oh, we absolutely work with third party for that. I mm -hmm. think it's really important to keep uh, in terms of submit or do, um, actually doing the surveys. Um, in terms of the results of of the surveys, and we get those back immediately, and we our team does follow up with the individual members. We don't rely on that third party for that. But for administering the surveys, we completely rely on third party research firms for that. They have the expertise. They've helped us build the surveys. They've helped us administer the surveys. We're actually adding collections into um, the, the net promoter surveys. Um, we call our collections department member solutions. We don't like to call it collections as a very negative connotation. Again, mm -hmm. credit unions are known for trying to reach out and help our members. And that's one of the reasons we're asking people about that health question, because we want to know if people are starting to feel vulnerable. We actually have this, the, the, the scale is, is healthy, coping, and vulnerable. And if we start seeing people slipping from coping to vulnerable, we want to be able to reach out to them to help them before they get to that point of drowning, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And the way the economy is and the way people, if you, if you like follow it from a macro perspective, um, the feeling, even though, you know, you hear in the news how great the economy is doing, it's getting so much better. But if you actually talk to individuals, they maybe aren't feeling like it's that much better. So it's important for us to know ahead of time before somebody gets into that trouble position so that we can help them. Because I don't think a lot of people want to talk about it when they're in trouble. Um, and they just sort of do the ostrich, put their head in the sand and hope it goes away. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. So we have an entire member solutions department dedicated to reaching out to our members, hopefully ahead of time, so that we can put them in a position of feeling much more confident with their finances than maybe they did beforehand. So does, does having a... a kind of digital first or digital only, as we, we said, experience, does that make that that kind of feedback, that feel for 
customers easier or harder? Oh, it's definitely harder. I mean, anything that we do to try to keep that human humanity or human feel is so much harder in a digital space. Um, it's interesting because this is the past couple of years have been the very first years in the history of banks versus credit unions that banks have started to outperform credit unions in terms of customer service. And it's not that all of a sudden the banks are hiring nicer people. It's because the banks are doing a better job at creating that feeling of customer service or that they're there or personalization through digital than credit unions have been able to. That's why it's been such a big focus of ours. But that's why we're asking these questions so that we know that our people, when it's time to start reaching out to folks before they get in a position where they're in trouble. But the only way we can do that is to ask the questions and we do it digitally. We do it through emails. We do it through um, even the survey itself is all done uh, through a web page. So they're not actually talking to anybody. They they have that, that, you know, feeling a bit of anonymity, but we know who they are. So when they do submit that and we do see that, up, oh, they've slipped from um, healthy to vulnerable or coping or from coping to vulnerable, we want to be able to put the member solutions department in a position where, where they can look at the member's full account and go, okay, let's reach out to these folks and, and see what we can do to help them. And we have lots of different programs and um, options for people, but we don't advertise them. We just reach out to them to to let them know. And we also, we, we do other things for our members that <laughs> we have a program. Um, I'll give you a secret. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> We're all about secrets. Yeah. Shh, don't tell you. It's called the Smile Program. Mm -hmm. And it's not something we advertise because if we advertised it, everybody would try to use it. <laughs> And what it, the SMILE program is, is it's an opportunity for every single employee of this credit union to give a gift to our members if that member has engaged with them about something that's going on with their lives. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. on the phone, it doesn't have to be in person, it can be via email, can even be through chat, can be through text. Um, and I'll give you an example, like if a member um, is just calling in to do a transfer or is just texting to say, how do I set up an, um, um, a savings account? I'm about to be a grandmother for the first mm -hmm. time. That employee immediately sees, oh, that's an exciting event that's happened in this member's life. And they have, they're empowered to send that member. They can send them an Amazon gift card. They can send them flowers. There's a whole list of things that they can do anywhere from a $5 coffee card all the way up to basically $599. And the reason it's $599 mm -hmm. is the $600 is where you have to $1099. Nobody wants a $1099 a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the reason it might be something that high, and we've had, we've had members who've been in situations where uh, um, a loss of a spouse, a loss of mm -hmm. a job, and they literally have told us they've had to they're having to make a decision between food on the table and paying the electric bill. Mm -hmm. And we may not be able to pay, be able to pay it every single month, but doggone it, we're not going to have to make that choice for this month. Let's give them 30 right. days to be able to see if they can fix whatever it is, you know, get a new job or whatever it is. So let's pay their electric bill for this month. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, and it has made a huge difference. Ironically, the, the small gifts, five, $10 gift cards will prompt a handwritten note quicker than anything else because it's something that they don't expect from the financial yeah. institution. This is another way we can connect human to human in a digital type of an environment or phone call or whatever. Yeah. It allows us to do either on the spot or something we can send to them even through email. So so that, that's like a page out of like the Zappos 
um, playbook. Right? Kind of, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, what's the hotel, uh, the Ritz-Carlton type sure. of hotel. Yeah, yeah. The guy who changes the light bulb is still charged with uh, interacting and engaging with, with a guest. Um, it's along those same type of lines. And I think it's such an important part of um, customer service in terms of really connecting with people. Um, more so than just doing transactions or helping them get an auto loan or, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you have ever gone to a house closing for somebody you helped get a mortgage or you were a part of the process, either through real estate or whatever, watching them get the keys for the very first time and it is like a transformational experience yeah. to be a like part of major that. life event. Right. It's a major life yeah, yeah. event and it should be celebrated more so than just a bottle of wine or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's great. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, and we actually have gifts for our mortgage loan officers to give to people, you know, cutting boards or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, and this is something we had a particular mortgage loan officer who would always out of his own pocket do something special for the family. And I thought, why not expand that out and have every employee, not just mortgage loans, not just frontline, but even somebody in operations who's handling a wire for somebody because they're buying a house or something along those lines. Maybe they're the ones who who can then reach out to the member and and congratulate them on this major life event, you know. So I think it's that kind of thing that allows us to connect with people and and fulfill the mission of credit unions of people helping people. So some of the things you've talked through of like how you're changing doing business this mm-hmm. the, the digital aspect, the additional aspect of personalization, the lower footprint from from a retail standpoint replaced by a digital and mobile experience this how do we reach out and and help people when we're kind of going about a different way and on top of that it sounds like there's probably a lot of underlying data that drives a lot of this like you talked about with your fintech integrations all of that is i'm imagining different than the way the credit union was operating a decade ago like how have you kind of dealt with that from a change standpoint, from a, we're going to do different, we're going to do business differently now than we have in the past? Have you ever read the book, um, Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We made sure every employee in this credit you read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, I think it's it, it was important <clears throat> for people to understand that change is um, a part of our business model. It just is. It is not going to go away. They're, the one constant is going to be change. And I think that if 2020 taught us anything, it was definitely that, that we had to be agile. We had to be able to move quickly. Um, there is a gentleman by the name of James Robert Lay, and he has a business called um, Digital Growth Institute. He is in the process, I think he's just about to release a book that I believe is called Banking on Change. Um, and it used to be uh, banking on, on digital, and it was all about growth in the digital space. But when he was going through that process, and I've worked a lot with him as a consultant, um, when he was going through that process, the one thing he did see was change management was something really difficult for credit unions. And it is difficult, all the way from the top, all the way down. Change management has got to be a part of our everyday existence. Um, so we understood that, go, even going into the core conversion. And like I said, after 2020, 
agility became a very important part or a, a pillar of, of this credit union moving forward. So we make sure that when we're bringing people onto the team, especially in any kind of leadership or management role, that they understand that the way it is today is not going to be the way it is tomorrow. And we're always looking for people who can think outside the box to create efficiencies, create a better member experience using digital and mobile first as that foundation. So change it's been interesting because I'm I'm somebody, actually, my background before I ever came into credit unions, I worked as a live sports producer. And if you want to talk about there being things you have to be prepared for that you're not prepared for, try do, producing live, live sports because you never know what's going to happen. Um, so it definitely prepared me for what I'm up against today, which is constant change. And I thrive from it. But it is something that we do have to constantly nurture and help our employees along. Um, and, and basically, when we were going through the core conversion, we had a lot of retirements this year. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because some people just didn't want to learn a new way of doing things. Um, and that's okay. That's absolutely fine. It's uh, We always talk about that we want to help people grow. But if they don't want to grow, that's okay. Then we can kind of help them find other opportunities. So I think that's an important part of who we are, but we are, we're some, uh, this particular credit union and the culture is a culture of change and agility. And um, I think we've done a pretty good job so far um, moving forward and keeping that, keeping that line. We call ourselves fast followers. We don't want to be on the bleeding edge necessarily, but we like to be that fast follower position so that we can give the best member experience and the best efficiencies to employees as well as our members. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a key theme uh, that we hear an awful lot, that the, the, the idea of, you know, staying relevant, staying um, important and essential to to customers and members has a lot to do with your ability to kind of keep up with changing taste, changing expectations, you know, and, and keeping pace with what the alternatives are there and, and not just keeping pace, but being able to differentiate on the parts that's really important for them. So um, agreed. Amy gave us a lot, a lot here. Thank you very much for kind of sharing Absolutely. with us. This is a, a great experience. If anybody's interested in learning more about Tropical FCU or, or about you, where where can they go? TropicalFCU.com. That's us. Great. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. This has been Behind the Vault, a production of Mindspan Systems, helping community FIs provide service like no other. Learn more at MindspanDate.com. If you're a community bank or credit union leader and have a story to tell, please visit BehindTheVaultPod.com slash guest. That's BehindTheVaultPod.com slash guest. If you found this episode useful, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. As that helps other FI leaders like you find the show. Thanks for listening and join us next time for more insider stories from community banking on Behind the Vault.